Let me begin this morning, first of all, by welcoming you guys. It is a privilege for us to be able to worship together and to be able to celebrate Christ, and that is what this day is about. Uh, anytime we come together, it is a privilege for us to be able to be with others who are in the body of Christ, but it's not about those other people. When we come to a place like this, we come to worship and to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. So thank you for joining us as we simply celebrate Jesus Christ this morning. I want to begin today uh, with a word of celebration and at the same time seeking your prayers. Our denomination has been blessed with great leadership for many years. Most recently, our general superintendent, which is the person who gives general oversight to the denomination, has been a wonderful lady. Her name has been uh, Dr. Joanne Lyon. She is someone whom I consider a personal friend, um, especially as her husband formerly served as my pastor. So uh, as a result, it it's always nice to know the person in charge, you know. Uh, she has done a fantastic job leading our denomination over these past four years. Well, this past Monday, our general conference was held in Buffalo, New York, where a new general superintendent was elected. Dr. Wayne Schmidt is his name. He is one who has served in various capacities throughout the years, including as a pastor, a professor, and a dean at Wesley Seminary, uh, where he actually was even one of my professors in my master's degree. I would add that I believe that the delegates who voted made a very wise choice for our next leg in leadership. But I also ask you to pray for the leadership of our denomination. While I am very grateful for the leadership thus far, I believe that the best days of the church are not behind us, but they lie in front of us. And we pray not only that Dr. Wayne Schmidt will lead well, but we pray that we will also follow well. We have a great history of presenting the message of holiness while serving as agents of change and meeting practical needs in people's lives. We want that to continue around the world. Considering our past and considering our current leadership and considering the Holy Spirit's presence amongst our church, it is hard to believe that God would stop doing the great work that he has already begun in us. He who began a good work, he is faithful. He will carry it on to completion, and we believe that firmly today. I would like to take a moment and pray specifically for our denomination this morning. Father, thank you for the leadership that we have been blessed with. Thank you for the calling that you have placed on us as a denomination to be a light to this world, to this nation, to this community. Lord, I pray today that your hand of leadership would remain on us as a denomination. I pray for Pastor Wayne and ask that you would minister to his heart. I pray that you would give him wisdom, give him strength as he deals with things that most of us would never even think about with the church. But Lord, I pray that you would uh, guide him every step of the way. I pray that you would never allow him to step ahead of your leading. Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church to respond the way we need to, to not just to follow blindly, but to be able to trust in the leadership that is there. And I pray that you would use us as a church to truly change the world around us. Lord, I pray for the Wesleyan Church today, that you would work in such a mighty way that nobody could mistakenly give credit to Wayne Schmidt, but rather they would truly have to give credit to the Holy Spirit working in and through us. May you be honored through our denomination. In Christ's name we pray, amen. 
Well, let's take a moment today, and I would like for us to continue in the series that we've been looking at. The series is entitled, Looking to the Stars. And we've been looking specifically at God's blessing as God worked through Abraham, and he was constantly looking to the stars. He was always looking forward to that promise that God had given him, that one day his descendants would be so great, so many, that you could not even count them. It would be like the stars in the sky. Well, today I would like for us to continue in that series. And uh, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 18. You can go ahead and turn there already in your Bibles, although the verses will show up on the screen in just a moment. I will tell you, we're not going to read the entire portion of Scripture. And a part of it is because as I read, you will get the gist of what the rest of it is saying. We're going to begin today in verse 22. And we'll only read uh, a few verses, but this passage is all about justice, mercy, and grace. It is also perhaps one of the most familiar passages in the Old Testament, as even the ungodly have heard about God's justice that is described in this passage. Look at it with me, beginning in verse 22. The men turned away and went toward Sodom. But Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the, the, the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike." Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, If I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city For lack of five people, if I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Now the passage goes on to describe an exchange between Abraham and God, where Abraham repeatedly lowers the number and asks God to withhold his wrath. But each time, as God agrees to relent, Abraham realizes that Even what he asked for was likely not enough. Finally, Abraham gets down to 10 people. God, if there be 10 righteous people in Sodom, will you not destroy the city? Well, you know, often as we look at this passage, the first thing that we tend to notice is the wrath of God. We consider the immorality that must have existed among the people of Sodom. And we wonder how bad it must have been. Perhaps we even look at today's society and wonder whether the people of Sodom really could have been worse than we are as a nation. I know that at times I have even um, wondered aloud about such things from the pulpit. You know, you look at the world around us and uh, we look at the sin and immorality that exists everywhere that we go today. And you almost wonder how much worse could they have been than us? And I would suggest that maybe, maybe that's the wrong question. As we look at the people of Sodom, 
The question isn't so much about how ungodly these people were. They certainly were ungodly people. Some of it's described, in fact, as these two men that are referenced at the beginning of what we read. As they go down to Sodom, basically the people of Sodom see them and they want to take them by force and they want to rape these two individuals. And just to show how perverted the culture was, Lot, who rescues these two men, says, here I will give you my daughter instead. This was an ungodly place. That's not up for discussion. The question is not about those who are ungodly, but the question is more about the righteous who remain. Let me explain what I mean. As Abraham pleads for the wrath of God to be withheld from the people of Sodom, he never debates with God regarding how ungodly the people were. He never says, Lord, can they really be that bad? I mean, look at the immorality that exists elsewhere. How can you hold them accountable when there are so many other ungodly people in other places? Why would you hold them accountable? He never suggests that. Sexual immorality, perversion, and a complete disregard of everything godly was absolutely present in Sodom. It was a useless argument. So what is the merit behind Abraham's argument? It's the idea that there are still a God-fearing remnant in Sodom. I ask you, is there still a God-fearing remnant in America? My first thought is that there must be, but then I question how God-fearing we really are. And understand that it's not my place to judge anybody, nor am I claiming to be better than anybody else. But I think that it's worth noting that our God-fearing remnant may not truly be as God-fearing as we claim it to be. For example, I think it's safe to say that all of us would legitimately call themselves Christians, any of us who call ourselves Christians would agree that Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but rather he came to fulfill the law. Jesus stated that word for word. When we talk about fulfilling the law, what law is he talking about? It's primarily looking at the law that God had instituted back in the Old Testament. Probably the most familiar of such is the Ten Commandments. And at first glimpse, we may say that we do still keep the law. But do we really? Jesus said that if you've hated your brother or your sister, then you have committed murder. Yet the Ten Commandments call us not to kill. Thou shalt not kill. He adds that if you've lusted in your heart after another, then you have already committed adultery with her. How are you doing at keeping these two commandments? We're told that we shall not bear false witness. Well, what does that include? Uh, Of course, it means that we don't lie. What about exaggerating, flattering, those little white lies, the way we fill out our taxes when it comes time to fill out tax forms? Thou shalt not bear false witness includes those things too. I recently asked a group of college students if it is ever okay to lie, and I admit that I was surprised and somewhat alarmed to hear the answer. It depends on the circumstance. Out of 24 students, only one said no. It seems that if 
it seems as if there's always a way for us to justify the sin that exists within our lives. But understand that these are not the 10 suggestions or the 10 recommendations. These are the 10 commandments. How are you doing at keeping these commandments? What's most alarming is that we're not just talking about lay people, though. We're also talking about pastors, Recently, Relevant Magazine published a survey in which more than 2,000 pastors from North Carolina were interviewed. The survey revealed that more than 90% of them admitted to not keeping one of the Ten Commandments. That one Ten Commandment was to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Now, I know that this seems minuscule, unimportant. Does God really care if you remember to take a day every week to rest and to worship? I mean, think about it. These individuals are pastors. They're leading others in worship. Isn't that enough? No. It's one of the Ten Commandments, which means it is what God expects of his people. Among lay people, the statistics aren't all that different. According to churchleaders.com, only about 20% of Christians attend church on a regular basis. I'm just going to tell you, and I know I'm a pastor, so you should expect to hear this, that stinks. How are we doing at keeping the Ten Commandments? You know, we look at ourselves and we think, well, we are the godly remnant. We are the really in many ways, the only hope for our nation. And my question is, how are we doing at being that godly remnant? Are we truly living as the body of Christ? I suggest that the issue with Sodom was not the ungodliness of the overall population. It was the lack of truly God-fearing individuals. And I suggest this only to point out that before we start identifying the sin of others in our world, perhaps we ought to begin by examining our own hearts. Look within the church. Look within us. Perhaps we need to make sure that we are the God-fearing individuals that God desires us to be. Otherwise, justice, which is what happens to Sodom, may not be as just as we would like for it to be. But when we truly develop a God-honoring, God-fearing heart, there will be things about us. There will be things that naturally change. In Abraham's case, he developed not just a God-fearing heart, but also a God-honoring heart. He became a man who passionately pleaded for the lost in Sodom. And notice his plea. He doesn't merely plead for the righteous. Now, he uses, in many ways, his concern for the righteous to plead. But he doesn't say, Lord, spare all of the righteous. Let them go. But rather, he pleads for everybody who lives there in Sodom. Certainly, he wants them to be delivered. In fact, he points out something that I don't think my mom ever abided by when I was a kid. Verse 25 says this, Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? 
First of all, let me just say, this is a very bold prayer that Abraham offers to God. Do you want to be the one to call the Lord out on the carpet for being unrighteous? You think about it. This is the creator of heaven and earth. He is the one who is truly the righteous judge. Abraham prays a very bold prayer. But I will tell you that when I was a kid, what Abraham is praying about, I don't think my mom ever read. There were times I have a brother and a sister, and there were times she wasn't sure who did what. So what she did was she punished all three of us. And there were times that I know that I got punished for what my brother and sister had done. I guess she looked at it and she figured, I'm going to make sure I get the right ones because I'm just going to get all three of you. There were times, though, I also know that my brother and sister got what I deserved. The reality was what Abraham is calling God to do here is to make sure that those who are righteous, those who have been faithful, those who have been making the right choices, don't let them suffer the punishment and the wrath that is well-deserved by others. What he's doing here is he is pleading that God would, in many ways, show grace. Abraham pleaded for all the people of Sodom. He had a heart to see them all delivered. I will tell you that we need that same heart for the people in our world. Do we still care that we live among a people that are headed for hell without Jesus Christ? Say, of course we do. We want people to experience Christ, but do we really? Do we go out of the way to share the good news of Jesus Christ with everyone that we come in contact with? If we do, then we are actually fulfilling the call that God has placed on us and the model that we see in Abraham. In 1886, Dr. John Pemberton had a concern and he ended up taking action with it. One day, he introduced Atlanta, Georgia to his caramel-colored syrup concoction. He first distributed this concoction to a place called Jacob's Pharmacy, where Coca-Cola was sold for the very first time. As his popularity rose, Dr. Pemberton's concern was that every person alive should be able to taste his product at least once in their lifetime. It has now been 130 years since Dr. Pemberton's concern led to action. Surveys now show that 96% of the world recognizes the Coca-Cola label. And on average, there are 10,450 Coca-Cola products consumed across the world every second. Today, many people claim to have the same concern for souls as Abraham, but claim that the task is too great to see the gospel truly proclaimed to every creature. I wonder which is more important, Coca-Cola or the eternal souls of the lost without Jesus Christ? Understand that one man who had a passion for something to take place pursued that passion and took action and did everything he could to proclaim his good news. Imagine what would happen if a single body of Christ chose to make this their one greatest passion. The one desire of their heart was to present the good news of Jesus Christ to the world around them. Our world would be changed. We need to develop a passion for reaching the lost in our world, much as John Pemberton developed a passion 
to share Coca-Cola with others. I assure you that justice and mercy are absolutely the only two options for humanity. And the only way to find that mercy is through the grace of Jesus Christ. And that means that there is no other way. It is only through Jesus Christ. I've been swimming with my kids about every day, I think, for the past week or so. And for the most part, they're good swimmers. The one exception is my four-year-old. He is also not tall enough to stand in it. I think it's only a three or four foot pool, but he's not quite tall enough to stand in the middle with his, uh, without his life jacket on. Actually, he is just to that point where he, on his tiptoes, he can stand at the edge. Uh, and he's really excited because he's hoping by his birthday in July, he will gain a foot and be able to do it. That being said, he has a safety blanket. It's called a life jacket. He wears it all the time. He's not allowed in the pool area without the life jacket on. It's the thing that keeps him from sinking to the bottom and drowning. I look at our world and I see a world that is desperately in need of a life jacket. And in many ways, the body of Christ becomes that life jacket. When we become the God-fearing individuals who live as God-honoring individuals, we become that remnant, that hope for our world that we might be delivered. We look at the wrath of God as it is displayed to the people of Sodom. And I would suggest to you today that I don't know at what point God will look upon our world and say, that's enough. It is time for God's wrath to be poured out. But what I do know is this. If we are to impact this world, we cannot do it with a haphazard faith in Jesus Christ. We must be people who, number one, are sold out for God above all else. We know that there was one family that lived in Sodom that chose righteousness. That one family... A part of that family is destroyed. A part of it is not. Will you be that one family? If everyone else were to turn away, would you be that one who chooses to live as a righteous remnant for God? What I know is this. This world desperately needs you to be that light and to be that hope and in many ways to be that life vest for our world. I challenge you, first of all, to pray for those who are lost. Abraham brought the people before God. He pleaded for them because he didn't want them to suffer. We need to pray with that same passion. Even if it's that bold prayer that says, God, please don't do this. We know that you're righteous and we know that you know what's best. But Lord, we pray for them because we love them. As the story progresses, these messengers go down to Sodom, and they make a way for the righteous few to escape. We need to become people who offer others a chance to escape the wrath of God. In Abraham's case, Lot would be spared. Consider the ungodly people in your world. What if you could be instrumental in offering them a way out of God's wrath? What an incredible blessing that would be, not only for you, but for them. You have that opportunity. The question is, will you take the opportunity and do what God's called you to do? 
Let's pray. Father, as we come before you, we are so grateful for the privilege we have to be your holy, your righteous remnant. Lord, I pray that you would help us to live as godly examples. Help us to be a people that would model your righteousness. Allow your Holy Spirit's presence in us to result in us being your holy people in our world. Lord, I pray today that you would help us to be the remnant you called us to be. But I also pray today for those who are lost. Lord, we know that all of us deserve punishment for sin. But by your grace, you have wiped away our sins. And today we look forward to your reward. But we are surrounded by a people, by a nation that in many ways is still ungodly. And Lord, I pray today that they would come to know your grace just as we have. Lord, I pray that you would work in them. Use us to be that light, to bring them to that hope. Help us to introduce them to your grace, the only way for them to be saved from their sins. Lord, I pray today that your anointing would be on us as we become your light to them. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Some of you guys are excited. You're thinking, pastor's letting us out 15 minutes early. I am not. Today we get to do something that we don't always get to do, and that is to celebrate the new life that God has brought into an individual's life. We have a young lady who has been a part of the church, I think, since last December. And she has given her heart to Christ, and today we are going to celebrate in baptism. Um, if, uh, if you would like to go and get ready, now would be the time to do it. Um, as we do this this morning, um, I want to challenge you as the body of Christ in a certain way. We are told in Scripture that when an individual repents of their sins, when they give up the old life and choose to embrace the life that is in Jesus Christ, we are told that there is great rejoicing in heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but there was a day that I knelt at the altar and I asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins and I entered into a relationship with him. And I will tell you, I didn't hear a single angel rejoice. I didn't hear any clapping or cheering or anything like that. And I almost look back and I think, well, I know that they were rejoicing. I wonder what it must have been like. I want you, as we participate in baptism this morning, I want you to be able to give this young lady a glimpse of what it must have been like. When she is baptized, I'm going to ask her three questions. The first one is, have you asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life? She has to say yes or I will not baptize her. The second one is, do you plan to live for him for the rest of your life? Again, she has to say yes to that. The third one is going to be simply, is there anything else you'd like to share? She can say no, she can say yes. It's up to her at that point. But then I'm going to pray over her and I'm going to baptize her in the water right behind me there. When I baptize her, she's going to come out of that water and I want you to give her a glimpse of what it must have been like when she gave her heart to Jesus Christ. You ought to be cheering for this more than you've ever cheered for anything else in your life. You guys know I'm a huge Panther fan, and I've been to a couple games there. I love watching them play. Uh, the last game I went to, they just destroyed the Atlanta Falcons, and I loved it. And we cheered and we celebrated the entire time. But I'm telling you, 
That is absolutely nothing compared to knowing that this young lady is now a child of God and she has the promise of eternal life. As you cheer today, I am asking you to cheer louder than you've ever cheered before. If someone joked about bringing party poppers and all that today, they did not. It's going to make it much easier to clean, but I still need you guys to do your part and to cheer this morning. I'm going to ask Daly if she's going to, I think she's going to bring the whole worship team up. They're going to lead you in a song and I'm going to go change real quick and then we're going to do a baptism. So thank you. As we do this today, thank you so much for celebrating with this family. This is a family that has come to us uh, since, did I get that right? You say it was December. And uh, it is such a blessing to have them. They have been involved with several areas of ministry. And uh, we are so grateful to have uh, the Castaneda family with us. And they have been such a blessing already. One of the areas of ministry has obviously been children's ministry, which includes Awana and what we do on Sunday morning. And uh, because of that, I've asked Pastor Dale if he would participate with us today. And uh, actually, the rest, of, some of the family is up here. If other family members want to come to where you can see, you guys can, but they're going to take pictures over here. So, um, Valentina, have you asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life? Yes. And do you plan to live for him for the rest of your life? Yes. Is there anything else you would like to share with us? Yeah. Okay. Um, I have been waiting to baptize for a long time from now, and today Jesus accepted today would be the day that I'd be baptized, and I'm so happy to live for him. Amen. Now, I'm going to ask if Pastor Dale will pray over you, and then I get to baptize you. We're going to do it together, but I'm going to let you say, is that all right? Say our precious Heavenly Father, in our mind, we go back to the story of where Jesus took the children and He held them and He blessed them and He said, let the little children come unto Me. And so, as Valentina has expressed this desire in her heart, that she wants to be close to Jesus, we bring her to you. And we say, Lord, bless this child. Reward her desires. May she become the young lady that will love and serve God. Yes. Work through her, I pray. And as a church, May we take the responsibility of shielding her and guiding her and providing the direction that she needs from us. For these things we ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Valentina, if you'd like to pinch your nose, you can. Valentina, Isabel, Isabella, Castaneda, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are so grateful for the work that God has begun in her, but we also, as we stated earlier, believe that the God who brought this into being will bring it into completion. Mm -hmm. And we are very grateful for that. Thank you so much for allowing us the privilege of being a part of this this morning. I want to encourage you as the body of Christ to be the body of Christ to her. Uh, she is going to go and get changed. I want to...
This is a great time to challenge you as the body of Christ. She is going to look to you. She's going to want to see a godly example. She needs to see that godly example. You say, well, I don't want to be your example. She's got a mom and dad. Let them set the example. I didn't ask if you wanted to be one. She's going to look anyways. So make sure that you live in such a way that if she were to imitate you, that truly she would be imitating Christ Jesus. Paul stated, be imitators of me just as I also imitate Christ Jesus. That is the call for each of us. Be imitators of us as we imitate Christ so that that way we'll never be ashamed that she looks like Daly or looks like Joel or whomever. Actually, if she looks like Joel, something, I'm just kidding. It is a privilege for us to be a part of that. Take that responsibility seriously today. She's going to go out and she's going to get changed. I'm going to do the same. They're going to lead you in one more song and then Greg is going to give the benediction. Pray over you guys as you leave and I'll try to get out there as quick as I can. So thank you for being here this morning.